another dollar in the kingdom. <laughs> okay. I know another dollar out the door as well. That's true. Um, boy, that's a pessimistic attitude. Straighten up. <laughs> no, it's called COVID blues. <laughs> and then the freezing weather. I know freezing of our pipes and making. Oh, freedom. Oh, then no freedom. Well, almost freedom. We're getting close. Yeah, we have. Right. I know. I think. I think what's going to happen. We visited um, a church this Sunday that was talking about, you know, how they were going to be working the rollout on the no mask issue now, and he was saying probably we'll do it gradually, and that. Because, I know because they don't want to chase off people who are not on board with where we think as, as believers that God's got our lives in the palm of his hand, not, not the world is not in control of our numbered days, right, which God numbered. But anyway, so apparently HEB is now going to do it, but they're going to make you keep wearing masks there until they let you know that they deem it's okay. And I'm like, we're in the where in the world does this concept that private businesses that are out there for the public, that they get to dictate to us how to, you know, order our lives. It'd be like having a litmus test at the door of their store and saying, do you do this and this and this? I thought, you know, we should tell them you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and you have to be in a precept Bible study. And if you meet those two criteria, you get to come into HEB. <laughs> I, hmm, I guess the store would be very... <laughs> yeah, say... So, I know the science. No, absolutely. Yeah, I know. I know. Right. No, you're absolutely right. Personal. That's exactly right. <laughs> okay. So back to Bible study. <laughs> no, that's okay. You're. Hey, you have a crowd of cheerers. Let's all give her a round of applause. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now. When are you running for office? <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we've got some lovely things to cover today. This is probably one of the more exhorting. Thank you, honey. New, a fresh pot of coffee is on for those of you who want to know. Um, anyway, back to this study, this week's study. How were you encouraged by what you got to go through this week? Was it a little lighter than the last two weeks where you were trying to figure everything it was clear cut much more clear cut so we're, we've got a lot to cover on the our our topical study this week and um so let's get to the lord in prayer do we have prayer requests i have the same prayer request that i had last week um for my daughter okay yeah every parent in here that can contest to that amen there's the whole room <laughs> so you're not alone <laughs> yeah yeah we pray for our kids okay okay for houses and yes yes houses to and finances and jobs and 
My husband's praying to go back to work, work rather than working from home. And yeah. Yeah, no, never. <laughs> no, actually, I haven't minded having him home because when I can't reach something, I can say, honey, <laughs> that's, that's probably it. <laughs> that's right. Okay, well, let's. Oh, yes. Prayer box. So prayer, prayer boxes, Kathy calls on the roster. Have we sent the roster out to everyone yet? Okay. So if you have a roster from our class, you know how to contact uh, Kathy Cole through her email. Send her any email prayer requests that you might have that you would like our class to know about on the hall and we'll be praying for you. Um, we got some amazing prayer warriors in this group, I know. So um, just send those in if you want us to pray for something specific. How about you, Al? Do you have anything special for prayers? No? Okay. Everybody, yeah, I've got every prayer under this heaven, but yeah, okay, me too. All right, let's pray. Father, we're thankful to be back in your house, this house, where your two or three are gathered in your name. There you are in the midst of them. And Father, it's, it is uh, a joy and a pleasure and a privilege to be your children in this world today. Although there is turmoil, there is strife, there is struggling, there is an awful lot of frustration as we see the wayward world um, leading us into things that we can tell, Father, are not of you. And Father, that really cause a great stumbling stone to many people in this world that still don't know you. And yet, Father, at the same time, what have you done? You've done for us just what you did for Daniel. You took Daniel, you put him into a land where they did not know you. And there, Father, he was faithful to you. He, he witnessed to Nebuchadnezzar. He witnessed to Darius. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego did the same thing. Three men in the fire. Father, here we are, all of us in the fire of this day and time. And we know, Father, that there is no mistake that the scripture tells us in Acts that you determined our exact time and place in history to be born and to where we were to live even. And you've placed us here, Father, that we might be your witnesses and that we might lead others into faith in you. And so, Father, we just ask that you would give each one of us a heart to do that, that we would in our own personal ways, whatever they are, that we would reach out to people around us who need to know you. Father, we ask that we also be given hearts that are patient as we wait for your coming. It is very hard to be patient about that. We just desire so much to be with you, to see you face to face, and to enter into that glorious time where um, we're just we've done we're done with this messy world in the way that we're living with it right now. In the future, Father, you have a plan for us. And this time that we're living in right now is training ground. So I just exhort those that are listening that they would understand this, that they would know that everything that we go through, even the hard things, that these are opportunities to refine us and to purify us. They're also opportunities, Father, to teach us what we need to know about you and about others, even about the world, even about man, even sinful man. We need to know these things, Father, so that we are wise and we are skilled, that we are deliberate in the way that we live and the things that we say and do. Father, help us always to keep your work and your plan and your kingdom before our eyes. Father, now bless us this morning. We ask also for these prayer requests for wayward children that are making bad choices and 
other situations with our families, whatever they might be, we know, Father, that your plan for the family is a good one. And that as families draw close to you, um, they function so much better. There's, there's such a peace in knowing that your way is the right way. And that in living it out, in doing of it, tasting to see and to find that the Lord is truly good. His word is good. These things are all what we desire for our children and for uh, all of our family members. So, Father, help us to convey that in a way that's loving and also, Father, that is uh, steadfast in the doctrinal truths that we know, that we would not waver in any way to try to accommodate, but, Father, we would express love but do so in holiness. Father, we pray for all those who were affected by this previous storm. We know that they've got financial issues. They've got household messes that they're cleaning up. They've got just the stress of everything now being out of place and out of function from where it was before. So we just ask your hand upon all that, that you would make things move and transcend for them as smoothly as possible. And that in the end, Father, we'll look back on these days of difficulties and just remember that we relied on you, that we honored you in the way that we lived and uh, accepted the challenges that you allowed in our lives. And Father, that we would, um, in the end, just come out of it victorious because we loved you first and foremost. Father, thank you. Bless our time together. Let your spirit fall upon us and um, open our eyes and our hearts to your word again this morning. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, now we have got a lovely study. So, okay, so the last two weeks were opportunities to see how scripture can interpret scripture. And what we have seen is a progression of that. Now, tell me, what did you see in chapter two of how scripture interpreted scripture for us? How did that happen in chapter two? We had a vision. Are you talking, oh, are you talking about how God tells you exactly what the parts mean? Like yes. Yes. Head, yes. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. That scripture did in script, in, in fact, interpret scripture because the interpretation was given to us right within the text itself. The dream was given and then Daniel takes a step up forward before that king and he says, king, this is the interpretation. And so he gives it to us. So some God, sometimes God literally gives you interpretation right there in the text, right? And Honestly, would you say so far from what we've seen in the dreams, the, the two dreams we've observed, that in fact, the interpretation for the most part has been there, even though all the details are not there, right? We don't know every piece and every person and every event, what all of them exactly mean. We know the big picture of it. God wins, <laughs> right? We know, we know the biggest picture part of it. So scripture will interpret scripture within its own writing most times, if, if not almost every time. So that's number one. Number two, then the next thing for you to know as an inductive student is that um, there's always going to be validation in scripture of what you've looked at. If it's a truth, God repeats it more than once. He, he does not, to my understanding, everything that I've come across in my spiritual walk with God, I've never seen God make a statement about a doctrinal truth, like who is man, who is God, what is salvation, what is the kingdom of God, who is the Christ. He doesn't mention it once and then never repeat it again. He speaks of it over and over and over. 
And each time he mentions it, what happens? The first time, yeah, a little more illumination, a little more information, a little bit different uh, way of looking at it, or a little bit of extra piece to the puzzle, right? So this is another thing that as inductive students, you try to always keep in the back of your mind, understand that God will not only often give you the interpretations right within the text, and you'll, you get a lot of the information within it, which is why precept says always allow the immediate context to give you your, your first and best understanding and let it be the king for interpretation. But in when it comes to prophecy interpretation, often the, the interpretation is given right there. But then secondly, God will repeat it again. So within the book of Daniel itself, the dream comes to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter two, and then it comes to who in chapter seven? To Daniel. Interesting too, the variation in the way, the information was the same, the interpretations, right, were the same. What were those two dreams about? Interpret it for me. Kingdoms, how many? Four kingdoms, okay. So we have four kingdoms in both dreams, right? But how were they conveyed in the dreams that was dis different from the two? How did they distinguish from one another? There you go. Very interesting. First time it was given to Nebuchadnezzar, who is a Babylonian king who at that time did not know God, right? And when God gave him a dream about the things that he was going to sh show him about those kingdoms, he gave it to him in a form of a man, a statue, right? But how did the vision come to Daniel, who was God's child, as beasts? How do you see that maybe as some kind of a message? Or do you? Do you see the difference between it being presented to a, a non-believer as a yeah. man, but as, an, as a believer as these kingdoms as being beasts? He gives it to them in my opinion in a way that they would understand it, that they could relate to based on who they are based on who they are. Very good. Yes. And um, I heard one uh, pastor say, isn't it interesting how when God looks at kingdoms of men, men see them as orderly men, right? But when God looks at them, he looks at them as beasts. Yes. Yeah. I just thought that was a little bit interesting. So the second thing that we did then was to compare with internally scripture with scripture to also support our understanding of what we're seeing for interpretation. And when we get into Daniel seven, did we get additional information that we did not get in the first dream and two? Yes. So we're building a little bit of information on top of the previous information. So God's expanding our knowledge, right? So then last week, in order to continue with this, we, we, we did a cross-reference outside of our book, and we looked at two chapters that Kate took us to, which was 12 and 13 in Revelation. Now, in those two, how did we make the comparison to make sure that we were comparing a compatible cross-reference? What did we do? Similarities. That's what you're doing. You're looking for similarities, and if you can match up that certain people, places, and events are similar in the first one and in the second one. They also fall sequentially in an order, possibly. They also have similar activities. So tell me some of the things, qualifiers that we identified in 12 and 13 that matched with seven, just by way of remembrance. 
there was this time reference that, as a matter of fact, in 12 and 13, it really cleared it for us. How else is three and a half, how was three and a half years actually declared for us in the text? Because it, time, times, and half a time. Good, 1,260 days, and that was in chapter 12? Okay. And then 13, 42 months. And then in 12, just to make sure that you knew it was the same, he also in 12 calls it time, times, and half a time. So there we had something that we could literally go back and forth and go, look at all these things around it are similar. They have activities that are going on that are similar. Um, the, the players on the stage are similar. Um, the um, Pardon? Yeah, well, exactly. I was going to ask you what they were. Making war. Good. No, thank you, Becky. That was perfect. Making war was one of them. And who was making war with whom? Yeah, the beast was making war with the saints. So once you know that that's happening in chapter 7, chapter 12, and chapter 13, now you've got another additional qualifier that says yeah these are talking about the same thing so pretty soon by the time we were done last week we had all these things that kept lining up and there were numerous ones right um the last one that was similar though was what happens at the end of those four kingdoms which were represented as beasts in seven what follows those four beasts the kingdom of god, kingdom of god which is where we went today now so where before what we were learning inductively was how do you validate a cross-reference as being legitimate and what do you look for now when you're doing history what are your primary things you're looking for people events and places and times right people places events and time and if you look for those specifically it does not mean there are not other keywords that you would want to mark and look up and pay attention to but those four things in particular for this study of eschatology are really important for us to make note of and to keep kind of in the forefront because those are the things that you're going to get to see over and over and over even when you go to your numerous cross references which we got a chance to look at this week so this week what we're doing is um inductively i forgot to get my book out darn well it's okay i'll just tell you about it in your how to study book does anybody have one handy yay i love this one this is the one i've used the most of the time can you all see that pretty good okay so this is your how to study book and this teaches you how to do inductive bible study this is considered a resource book because you buy it once and you use it forever every single study you you do you're going to go back to this book if you don't have this i you're missing out on the training of what I'm trying to do for you, because you're going to find that in precept classes, not everyone teaches inductive study. They don't teach you the processes, which I like to do, because I want to eventually, when I release you, for you to be able to go out and stand on your own and not necessarily have to have case curriculum. What if God takes you into a situation where you don't have your, yeah, you, Karen, you want to tell them about situations where you don't always have curriculum handy? You sometimes don't have resources. I lived overseas, so I learned this firsthand that there were times when uh, we were in Turkey twice. And the first time, everything came slow boat, four to six months. 
so it, nothing came quickly, you know, unless it could come in the mail. And that was a little faster, but it was still probably three weeks, six weeks. It kind of depended on where it started. And if it got into the, into the big box that went APO, if you all know what that means. Um, and if it got put in that box first and it wasn't full, they would wait till it was filled and then they would ship it. So it might sit there for who knows how long. And so you, it, you, your mail system was very unreliable. So I had this experience of not always having curriculum available. We didn't have internet back then. We didn't have cell phones to make quick calls and say, can you, Amazon, please. <laughs> right? And it's delivered on the door tomorrow morning. I love that. <laughs> but you don't always have it. So my emphasis, and I know people who've been with me a long time are saying, I know Katie, I've heard this a hundred times, but for the new ones, I want you to understand why I do what I do as a teacher. Not all teachers, not all inductive teachers teach the way I do, and that's perfectly fine. But I think it's more important that I equip you to be able to work this system without the curriculum if you have to. I want you to understand the processes, the thinking of it behind it, and then how do you get there if you don't have the curriculum? So last week we talked about, well, how do you find legitimate cross-references? How do you do that? If you want to find a legitimate cross-reference, like we found in Revelation last week to compare with Daniel 7. That's right. Very good. Angie, Angie nailed it. Star. Big star for the day. <laughs> um, if, you, if, you can <laughs> if you can identify um, good keywords, then you can go and look in your concordance, which We'll have a list this long of all kinds of cross-references. Now you have to parse through every one of those cross-references, determine which ones don't work and throw them out, which is like 90% of them, and then keep the, the maybe the one or two or 3% that are actually legitimate cross-references. That's where having precept ministry work or their curriculum is a benefit to us because they do all that for us. But if they don't, don't let that freak you out. Just know what you have to do is you look for your keywords first, get your observations done on your immediate chapter work that you're working on or your, the subject that you're working on. Glean as much information, make all your lists, do your word studies, right? And then go to concordance and look it up and then go looking for things that sound like they match, right? And then once you get into them and you start digging in, you'll pretty quickly determine whether or not it is a legitimate cross-reference or not. That is what we did last week, but we did it shortcut because Kay did that for us and gave us the two chapters, okay? So don't be afraid that if you didn't have curriculum, you couldn't do it, you could. It would just take a whole lot longer. <laughs> and you thought this was tough. <laughs> okay, now back to my how to study book. The reason I brought this up is because in here, there are various chapters, of course, how to do this process. It talks about doing the overview in the first chapter. The second chapter uh, or the third chapter uh, introduces um, focusing in on the details. And it's how to do an observation worksheet, how to mark your keywords, looking for time references, all, all, the, all these various steps that you and I do every time we do an observation worksheet. Then after that in this book, there are lots of chapters. Hold on, let me just open up my index here. Your index. <laughs> okay, so for instance, here are some titles inside, inside your book here. Um, searching for meaning. It's all Greek to me. What do you think that's about? 
word studies. Let scripture interpret scripture. There's a whole chapter in here on and the, these chapters are short. They're like three, four, five pages max. And this is very large print with lots of space in it. So it's, you're talking a minute, two maybe of reading, right? Um, the when, where, and why, which is what we did this week. She kept asking, do you remember lesson one, day one, or lesson three, day one, our homework was ask those questions concerning the, the kingdom of God, the where, when, how, why, right? And then it says, let's figure it out. Now there, there's another one. Let's see, let me see what it says here. Let's figure it out, 81. I'm gonna go there and show you. People can tell you God exists and that he knows and he cares about you, but how do you know whether or not they are talk, telling you the truth? After all, human beings can be wrong. So where can you find the truth about God and be sure it is true? Only one place. It's in the word of God. Uh, although the Bible is the internal word of God, inerrant in every aspect, it is written that we human beings could understand it. It is written in the language of the people, right? Uh, it is a literary work. The lit literature is composed of various styles of writing, which in turn use a variety of figures of speech. So in here, she's going to talk to you about things like similes, metaphors, exaggerations, because within the text, that'll come up. All of a sudden, you're going, oh, they're giving me a simile or they're giving me a metaphor. They're giving me. So in other words, and we ran into this, as a matter of fact, this week when we see and the beast was like a lion, okay? So there's these imageries that are presented through vision, but they have figures of speech. So in here, there's a chapter on that that you can read um, and figure out what they want you to know that helps you as an inductive student. Um, when one thing represents another, uh, there's another one on, hold on a second, I know it's in here, it's at the end. There is one here specifically on just, oh, here it is. Uh, this one says page 95. I don't know if that'll be in your translation, but be close. It's chapter 10, Unraveling Revelation. So there's a whole chapter now that specifically applies to the book of Revelation. However, what else will it apply to if it applies to Revelation? Also to Daniel, why? because it's the same kind of literary style, right? Literary styles are talked to you about in um, the beginning where it's called focusing in on the details, uh, which is chapter three. And it tells you, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm having a moment. It'll, it'll go, it'll pass in a minute. If I don't sweat off my clothes, look like a drowned rat before it's done. In a week or two, I'm gonna have my medicine on board and I'll be better. Okay, um, okay, so I want you to just keep in mind not to forget about your hockey study book because as we are going through this and I'm explaining to you week by week that the different things that we are actually doing, I want you to remember that this book is going to give you a lot more detail than I can go into in class. I can't spend my whole time just reading and telling you what's in here. But if you read it for yourself, it'll take half nanosecond, right? And what'll happen for you, I'm telling you, you will love it. Your homework will make so much more sense. All of a sudden you go, oh, that's what we're doing, right? I'm gonna keep your book, that's it's fine. very <laughs> handy. <laughs> it works as a fan also, just in case you need to know. Okay, so, <laughs> okay, so this week when we entered into our homework for chapter three, 
what was the first thing she told us? Let's 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 start by just reading the opening message because I thought that was very good. Okay, it says here, in the hearts of Jews and Christians alike, there is a longing for the coming of the kingdom of God. When will it come to pass? How? What will it be like? You will under, you will be blessed to find the answers yourself in this week's study. Now, why would it be important for us to know about the subject of the kingdom of God? What do you guys know about that subject? Is it a controversial subject, the kingdom of God? Is it confusing to some people, even me and you, right? Um, what are some possibilities or, or what are some understandings about the kingdom of God that you are aware of? Okay, it is forever. Of course, we learned that this week, right? Previous to this study, not pertaining to what we're looking at in Daniel, what have you known about the kingdom of God? What's been told to you, maybe through pastors or teachers? It's that it's on earth. Okay. Capital in Jerusalem. Okay. Okay. Yes, capital in Jerusalem. Could be one person's interpretation, right? Are there, have you ever heard interpretations about the kingdom of God being already here and, and present and upon us, right? Okay. Is that true? I'll just do this to help you out. Yes. It's here. It's at hand. Jesus, when he came, he says it, it, right, he was the kingdom of God. Okay. So as we are approaching this particular subject, what I want you to remember is, again, context always rules for interpretation about what they're trying, the point they're trying to make concerning it. The kingdom of God in this book pertains to what do you know? A millennial kingdom, a specific time in history kind of kingdom. But is there any another quality of that title, kingdom of, of God, that pertains to us right now in here? Yes. Okay. So again, we talked about this last week. Sometimes a word can be used, the beast, and it means this. Sometimes the beast can be used, but it means this. So you have to learn enough qualifiers and figure out where... You're going to compartmentalize some of your information. You're going to come to learn. There is a kingdom of God that's present right in here and right now. We are living in it. We are the kingdom of God on earth presently. But the, this kingdom is not what he's talking about. Our kingdom that we are living in presently as believers in Jesus Christ is not the kingdom of God that's to come. It's distinct. Can you see, though, how that might be confusing when you're reading through Scripture I can tell you the first time I came across that, I because I, Kay would ask questions that were you know never answered, of course, in the text. What do you think of this kingdom is? Huh? You know, and then you're like, oh man. But the, the best answer you can give as an inductive student is context rules for interpretation. This week we come across this subject called the kingdom of God. And it's within the context of kingdoms on earth coming and going, right? And Daniel chapter 2, which is one of our key word areas, uh, chapter 21 to 23, I think it is. And it says that God is the one who raises up kings and he's the one who puts kings down. 
right? Because he's the sovereign God. He also knows what's in the future. And therefore, he's able to tell us these things. So what we are actually looking at right now in our context is about kingdoms on this earth, right? The first four were kingdoms that pertain to men. But the last kingdom is unique. It's different. And it's identified for us at the close of chapter two. Let's go back to chapter two and read that real quick. Oh, that's a really great question. Good. Oh. Okay. Why do we call it four kingdoms and not five kingdoms? Well, there's four kingdoms of men of the nations, and God's kingdom is the fifth, and that is the everlasting. But it's still on earth. But it's not of men and nations, it is of God. There you go. You nailed it. Good girl. Because the distinction and the reason why God doesn't call his kingdom a fifth kingdom is because he doesn't fall in the sequential order of the kingdoms of men. He is his own kingdom and it's it's not kingdoms of men, it's God's kingdom. They're totally different. The kingdoms of men, they rise and they fall, they rise and they fall, they rise and they fall. And God lays that out in both visions to Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. But when he comes to the kingdom of God, he says, and then the kingdom of God will come. And when it comes, how long does it last? Forever. Now, this is very interesting because we're going to see the kingdom of God established. Um, there's going to be two uh, what is the right phases? I let's put it that way. And that's, that's a really bad word, but it's my way of thinking of it. But we have phase one on the earth of the kingdom that is eternal, right? And it's going to last for, as we now know, how long? 1000 years. But if it's eternal, does it end? No, we are going to come to find out. We do revelation that this kingdom just is, is geographically relocated to a new heaven and a new earth, but the kingdom goes on forever. So that's the distinction. The first kingdoms that are spoken of are kingdoms of men. And then start all over again, but it's one time, one time only, forever and ever, the kingdom of God. So that's why it doesn't say it's a fifth kingdom. So hopefully that answers a question for maybe what someone who even had it out there. Okay, now I was going to chapter two for something. Okay. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We want to look to see where, what happens. I think we can probably just skip all the way down to 44. Okay, chapter two of Daniel 44. In the days of those kings. Now, last week we talked about that, those kings. Who are the those kings? What does that link back to? Yeah, because in, yes, in context, and if you're doing, um, if you're an English major, do we have any English people in here? Um, thank goodness. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I always hate to get grammar checked. I was never good in school. Okay, <laughs> but starting in verse 40 is a then, then there will be a fourth kingdom, right? And this flow of thought goes, and in the days of those kings, it doesn't break and say another time, another whatever. It says in the days of those kings. So it's connected to that fourth kingdom that's being spoken of. And that fourth kingdom, what is being identified for us in verse 41 is what? What do you see? And in that you saw the feet and toes. How many toes are there? 
10 toes on a human being, which tells you there's no ev evolution. We're not going to grow a, a, an extra pinky toe. We've got 10 toes. And guess what? That's fixed by God. And it's fixed by God as a symbolic picture for us. Isn't that cool to know? I think that's really cool. I can remember when I was a kid when they used to teach evolution in school and they were talking about how one day we're going to have an extra finger or we're going to lose a finger because we don't use that much. The pinky's not that necessary. We're going to, it's going to go away. I mean, I can remember all that in school. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I was, it was worrisome as a little kid, you know, <laughs> but God fixed it as a symbolic picture for all time of humanity. And he's saying that statue has feet with toes. How many toes? 10. I'm going to keep all my 10 toes in that you saw the feet and the toes and then you dropped to 44. So what I did on my observation workshop, I'm going to zoom in here for you. I drew a line from that verse in um, 41 where it says the toes and then I dropped it down to the kings in the next, just to give my visually myself a, a, a side of line that would connect me always. I don't need it so much anymore because I've done this so much, but when you're first learning this, you forget and you, and you get lost. And sometimes somebody will make a reference to the, in the days of those Kings, but not give you the context because you could, what could you have done in your mind having studied about four kingdoms? Included, included all those pieces to the statue, but in the grammatical flow of this, he's speaking about this fourth kingdom. Now the kingdom that has the, the legs, the feet, the 10 toes, right? He doesn't say 10 toes right there, but it does say it um, uh, when it talks about the 10 horns, when it talks about, right? Okay. So the toes and the feet, um, he says in the days of those Kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. Now he includes all the others, right? All these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. So now what has happened is in the flow of thought as an inductive student is you, you found a new major subject, right? You had four kingdoms. Now you have this kingdom and it's called the kingdom of God. So now we have a subject that as an inductive student, we would want to stop and say, let's identify what is meant by the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. If you didn't have the curriculum <laughs> and you look at kingdom of God, you are going to merge the, the kingdom of God in us as the church and as believers. And then the kingdom of God at the end, they're both presented with the same terminology and then you're going to have to weed out which ones are the correct kingdom references. So this is an example of what I was trying to explain to you earlier. Um, now we know we have another subject. So this week, what we are doing inductively, and you will find this in, um, I think it's in focusing in on the details, chapter three of your how to study book, you will find a, an area in there that says, how do you, how do you handle a subject, right? What do you do to observe this a subject. So what what have we done this week? What did we do? What were the pieces to that process inductively? Well, day one, what did we do? Getting characteristics of dominions and characteristics of kingdoms. Yeah, so first thing we did is she wanted you to do a list 
from your immediate text of Daniel 7, right? She said, go into Daniel 7, make a list about kings and dominions. Um, I don't, she didn't say it, but did anybody do word studies? Yee-hoo! All right. I, I tell you, you guys are good. I'm, I'm so happy. Um, I love it when I hear someone say yes, because uh, if you've got major subjects like we do in the within the kingdom of God, these two subjects of, of dominion and um, kingdoms, she wanted you to look at those two to see how are they comparing to one another and how do they how do they complement one another, right? And when are they often uh, transposed for one another? Sometimes they say one word and then they come back and restate the same thing, but then they use a different word. But it, basically they're implying to you they mean the same thing in their thinking. They're talking about this subject of dominions and kingdoms. And so we look up our, our, our word in hopefully did a word study. That's number one. The number two you would do is go to your immediate text, which she says is Daniel 7, and you are to make a list on everything you learn about that kingdom. Because in this case, we know that kingdom can have two different kinds of identities. So we want to make sure we understand which one this one is speaking of. Immediate text rules for your interpretation. So let the immediate text give you your list. So all you're really going to be doing uh, uh, as time goes in your mind, it does. It's for me. It's just been the greatest tool is being able to have boxes. I have I have a toolbox filled with all my steps of how do I process this. But then I also have boxes in my head now of subjects. And I go, okay, this is talking about this, this is talking about this, this is talking, right? And I'm able to, so there's the kingdom of God, the millennial reign, there's the kingdom of God, the other kind of kingdom, which we haven't even touched on or read or study, but they're going to both come up when you cross-reference. So that was the second thing. She says, here's your major subject. Go to Jan Daniel 7, make your list. I literally went and got myself a box. Oh, good for you. <laughs> tabs for the first you know, empire, the second empire, the third empire, the coming of, first coming of Christ, second coming of Christ, you know, the millennium. And then she can carry it so with this her. This is my timeline. Very and cool. I can make a different card for each subject and list all the things that are said about it and all the references. And then I can move it. You know, if I decide now it goes in this tab, I'll put it in this tab. And then if I decide later that it, you know, it really was... You can move it around. You're going to find that that's going to be our constant struggle from here on as we go, move forward. Because today, as you can see, the only thing I've written up here is our timeline that we were to do on day five. And so everything else we're going to do is going to be discussion. And then we'll move to this to do this together because I know that some of you were did not have an easy time of it and i get it the first time i did it i didn't either and it's because you, you still don't have all the information and after we get through revelation you will but what all we're doing right now is you take the big chunky pieces and you put down what you do know that's all you're asking it's it's kind of like a teacher teachers who are really nervous about teaching the, the best advice i was given when i first started teaching was only teach what you know if you're not sure just don't go there or, and tell them, I don't know. And so I can't, I can't help you because I don't really know for sure myself yet. Right. But if you think, you know, then you do it, but you better be able to validate it in within the text of God's word, not outside. Don't say, well, so-and-so said, and that pastor said, and this teaching said, 
right? And this commentary said, don't do that as a teacher. So the same thing is true for you. You don't, you don't go beyond what you know. So that's why some of you texted me, lots of you did, and said, I'm stuck. I don't, this is really giving me a hard time. That's okay but it won't pretty soon because we're going to do this like a gazillion times. Okay. So it, it, by the time we're done with revelation, you'll have done this over and over and over and over, but you're right. There's never enough room on that chart because all those verses are lengthy. You can't write them all. All you can really do is put the reference in there and then go look it up when you're ready to what, um, what is done with what she did with her box her her recipe box by making index cards is a great way to do it i do it but i do it on my computer and i, I, you know, there's something absolutely and helps embedded in your brain, too. They say that that is one of the teaching tools is the physical writing of something. That's one of the reasons why Kay actually gives you places to write on things. And in your own personal Bible, she gives you those big columns. She wants you to physically write it yourself because there's also something about that that activity that helps you to learn. It's a learning. It's a part of the learn, learning process God gave us. OK, so now where was I? Okay, so now we have our subject. We, we know what we're, we're looking at. We're spending the whole week on it. So what she wanted you to do was to take a look at that in Daniel 7 and answer those questions. Who, what, when, where, why, how, right? Hold on a second. I got to get my pages open here too. Okay, so here's my little list. And she said, go in for the kingdom of God, look at um, the, I, what I did was I divided by major subjects. That's how I handled it. Each of you probably did it slightly different. It's okay. If you just made a list and put it all together in one list, that's fine. But I do better if I, if I categorize things. So I put together facts about a certain person or place or event altogether. So I picked out of concerning the kingdom of God, the ancient of days, one like a son of man and the saints. And all the information in Daniel chapter seven, I put them under each of those. Then I went over to this column and I answered the questions that she asked in question one. What will bring it into existence? When will it begin? Who will be in power when it comes, right? Which, which beast, basically. Who will rule over it? Where, where will it be? And how long will it last? And so then I answered those questions in bullet form directly underneath the question that she asked. But first, I compartmentalized my facts under subjects. For me, that was just my way of doing it. Did anybody do something different? No, I just, I kind of just copied it as is, like, just listed them in and, you know, started verses, you know, on and then I just became about trying to group it, like when it's parallel, like mm -hmm. when it talked about the dominion of the Son of Man, I tried to, you know, next to the kingdom, kind of put them like visually together. Mm -hmm. But I, did, I just kind of went just so you just did an accumulative list, right, which is kind of what I did the very first time I went through this. I don't remember. I don't even I didn't I didn't look. I don't know what I did last time on my homework, but this time I I categorized it just because I felt like it it helped simplify the thoughts that I was looking at visually for me. Anything that works for you is fine. And that's the other part about doing the inductive process. We each kind of think a little bit differently. We have a different way of 
feeling like we're grabbing hold of something and grasping it in our way of thinking. My husband, I think so differently when I'm asking him to explain something to me, my answer to him always is honey, write it down, right? Step by step what I'm supposed to do when I get on that computer. Step one, do this, step two, click. Oh yes, of course, <laughs> hush. Is he auditing the group? Yes, he is, always, always, I, I can tell you. Um, were you here when he did the Abraham one? No. Yeah. yeah, I was teaching Abraham, thank goodness, Abraham and Sarah and, and Abraham says that Sarah called Abraham master. You know, so he yelled up, did you hear that, Kate? <laughs> and I said, yes, hon. <laughs> when I get handmaidens and, and people to do all my housework, I'll call you master. <laughs> what a guy. Uh, and I married him. What, what was I thinking? <laughs> okay, good. That's true. I was too young. I was young, but hey, listen, it's lasted for all these years. So 48 years is pretty good. All right. Okay, so now let's just talk about this. So let me see if you can follow quickly enough. What we, all we want to do is have a discussion about it. We, we're not going to write things down. So hopefully you can categorize this however you want. If you want to stop, does anybody need a piece of paper to write notes on? Yes. <laughs> okay, here's some paper. I'll let you pass. But if you need paper, all we want to do is start to answer some of these questions in a way that will help you. You might want to go home and do something similar to the way that I handle this. And I know this is probably not coming up really good. Can you guys, is it backwards on your screen or is it correct? Oh, okay. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> and these two have got so much experience. They don't need this extra help. Okay. So the first question is, what will bring it into existence? So what did you find when you looked at Daniel chapter seven concerning the our major subject of the kingdom of God? What will bring it into existence? And when will it begin? Those two kind of overlap a little bit with one another. It sounds like at some point there's a judgment in the ancient of days, past the judgment in favor of the saints, and then the time arrives when they pick this up. Yeah. It's like there's almost like a declaration or something, you know. Seems like there's a heavenly event of transference of power or the deed. Right. The deed is it's kind of like selling a house. I'm thinking of this right now, selling a house and you got to sign off the paperwork and then it transfers. It was my house. Now it's their house. Right. Same thing with this situation. You see the ancient of days in in Daniel nine or Daniel seven, verse nine. He says, when the ancient of days takes his seat, that's when this is going to happen. There's going to be a moment in the. It's interesting to me how God is a God of order and he does have appointed times. Do you remember when Jesus uh, speaks to us in the gospel of John, it just says, and, his, and it was not yet his, my time it was not yet the time. Right. And then all of a sudden it says, now is my, it's my time. So there's like in the mind of God, it is a done deal. But there is a definitive time when it's going to also occur for us. Right. Um, and so the ancient of days is it says in verse nine will take a seat and when he does take that seat it says thrones are set up right mm -hmm. and then in verse 10 what did it say now that's interesting court sits now we we're going to see a court that sits also when we move into revelation it's obviously a different one because it's going to be at a different time in history we'll see that but obviously we have god 
really uh, in a very dynamic way presented to us as a God who's a judge. He sits on his throne. He's got his robe and his gavel, right? And he's making declarations and proclamations and decrees and, and things are being set in motion and affirmed. And so here we see he sits, thrones are set up, court sits, books are opened. And then he, and then what is the same verse 12 then about the bringing it into existence? When, what will happen that we know that that's when it happens? What happens next to know for sure? That's right. There's going to come a time that when the kingdom of God is going to be set up, what's going to happen is those dominions from those other kings that have been kings on the earth, in particular the fourth beast, when his dominion is taken away. What do you think about that? I can't wait either. <laughs> I mean, really, that's exciting for us. How much does that give us comfort and hope? I mean, as we are enduring in these days that we're in even right now, we're nowhere near to the things that are going to happen in, at the end days, right? But yet, already we're feeling the persecution and the pressures of the world around us and the evil works that they are trying to force upon us and push down our throats. And yet one day God is going to sit his court. He's going to slam down his gavel and that kingdom of men is going to be put to its end. So he says that that is, that is when the kingdom will happen. When, what will bring it into existence? God's going to take it away. That's what. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Very good. Now, why do you think that fits so well in Daniel? What is our major subject in Daniel? <coughs> the sovereignty of God. So, given and taken away, um, are are you, I think there were words you actually do see not only there, but you see them in Revelation as well. It was given to him. It was given to him, right? Uh, given to him a mouth. It was given to him to rule over the saints. It was given to him, and in that case, it was given by Satan to uh, to this fourth beast, right? The beast in, in Revelation twelve and thirteen. It's given to that beast by Satan to do certain things, but here in 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 our subject today, it is God who's got the final authority. So the beast might be given be given uh, power and authority to rule by the by the dragon, but here it says when God says when the when the time comes, I'm going to sit. I'm going to place judgment. And so, what does that show you about the power uh, or the chain of command? I should say. What is the chain of command then that's shown to us in this? Well, he tells us already in Daniel 2 that God is the one that sets that kingdom, that he's the There you go. And it's the same thing. It's given and taken. Yeah. I just, you know, some of these things are so obvious and they're not difficult concepts to grab hold of. And yet when you're doing inductive study, because you're really slowing down and you're pondering it, you really do get to kind of sit in the presence of God in that moment and allow the Holy Spirit to just kind of flood your heart and your mind and you think, wow. What a mighty God we serve. This is God who is sovereign. And when he declares it, when his court sits, that devil may have some work going on right now. And that beast may do his bidding when the time is here for him. But when God sits for court, it's a done deal. For believers, 
that is so comforting and gives us such an ability to endure in the in the struggles that we go through i mean i i can't i know you all do it too I, how many times i say yeah but i know who wins at the end i know who wins i this is unfair this is wrong this should not be happening in our world the things that we're going on right here in our world right here in austin texas today in 2021 they should not be happening but they are because they want to lord over you and they want to push you down they want to they want to rise up in power and they want you to be subservient to them and god says one day though you my children what's going to happen um, dominion is going to be given to who the saints of the of the highest one and so what is going to bring it into existence? I saw one more specific point, but do you have any other thoughts about the question, what will bring it into existence, the kingdom of God? What's going to bring it into existence? What did you notice or note in your, yes, uh-huh, Daniel 7. We're not in cross-references yet. Any, okay, well, we don't have to ponder it that hard. Um, I, I do think making the list and answering the questions in this order, compartmentalizing it underneath the question, it helped me a lot. And I can see that probably the next time I teach this, I might try to recall, remember, you have to help remember Kristen, if you're, if you and I are still around in another 10 or years or whatever, um, I would hand out this sheet and say, answer it this way, because <laughs> it will help you too. Because if you can compartmentalize it in this manner, it's going to make it simpler. Okay, the last one I saw was in verse 13, because something specific is going to happen that is going to bring it into existence. And until it happens, it's not. Yeah, one like the son. Yes, God gives him dominion. So that dominion is removed from the beast and that it's given to the son, one like the son of man. Okay, next question then was when? When will it begin? Yes, when that ancient, you can, that's why I was saying the first question and the second question are somewhat similar in their answer. When the ancient of days comes and takes a seat, those throats are set up and he declares it, right? Okay, so that's the first one. That's in verses 9 and 10. Do you know, just stop thinking too hard on your, on your specific verses right now. Just look up at me and give me a, a thought process. When will this take place? When is the kingdom of God going to begin on earth? When? At the end, when all the rest of these things are finished. What are the rest of these things that we're talking about? The kingdoms of men. When the kingdoms of men are finished, God's kingdom will come. Is that an important point in the mind of a Christian to have? Are there Christians who don't believe that? That's what's really weird. It's hard to believe, but there are a lot of viewpoints about the idea of a literal kingdom of God on this earth. Mm -hmm. And there are some teachings that teach otherwise. Now, so, do you have any? Okay, what did you discuss? I, I'm going to get, I'm going to move in closer so that. No, I don't remember. <laughs> well, how it, there are realms of, of the kingdom now in existence that we really can't see. But if we could, 
we would see. Oh, that's the that spirit. We were talking about the spiritual realm and the, oh, yeah. the principalities and the. the oh, and Daniel is loaded with spiritual warfare. Yeah. We can't, I can't wait. We're yeah. not there yet, yeah, but that's we're, what I told her. We're going to get. We're going to get that. into that a little yeah. bit, very little bit. So if you have any additional things that you spot and think about as you're moving along concerning spiritual warfare that you see going on in Daniel write yourself a little note on it and keep it somewhere so that you can go back to it later and go oh yeah that's right I want to look that up or you know it, yes because it is going to matter later and Kay does not spend a lot of time on the spiritual warfare in this particular book I wish she did but spiritual warfare is a whole subject it's like a 12-week study hmm. go, go figure right <laughs> Um, okay, so on the, on the kingdom, there's also a lot of teaching out there about we can affect it, we can do things to bring it about. Okay, yeah. And so that's do you important thing to discern. Okay, so do you think that people think that you and I can affect the coming of the kingdom of God? Do you think that's a legitimate thinking or a fallacy? Oh, yeah, because <laughs> we now know a court sits and a judge makes a judgment. I mean, what do you think? Right. What does that do for you and I in our spiritual relationship with God when we know that God is the sovereign one, not us? It takes the pressure off. Boy, yeah, it does take the pressure. I agree with you, because Kristen. It's not, it's not a conditional thing. Not if, if you do this, this is going to happen. If you don't do this, this other right. thing is going to happen. It doesn't. Right. You don't really have anything to do with the kingdom come. Exactly. There you go. That was what I was looking for. It humbles us. It puts us in our right position and place before God. So we understand it is God most high who rules and reigns. And he is the one that is setting this course of action. If Daniel does nothing else for us, he makes it clear that, that he has laid at this out. And he's laid it out since the beginning. Even if you want to technically get into it from before the foundation of the world. Right? These things were set into place by God for the salvation of humanity, and in this case, for the salvation of Daniel and his people, right? And there's a specific agenda, a specific plan, and a specific reason behind it all. And when we get into the rest of these cross-references, we're going to look at this idea, too, that, you know, what is God doing at this time and when he's going to set up his kingdom? Why does he do that? What is that kingdom about? We didn't go there in our homework. But that's another quality that when you begin to build your box on the kingdom of God and you're making reference to the kingdom of God that's a thousand year reign, you want to ask these same questions. When does it come? Why does it come? Where is it going to be? What was its purpose? Who designed it? When? For what reason? What, does, what is the outcome of having a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ upon this earth? Why? Why would he do that? Well, the Bible's clear. I mean, there's a bunch of information in there on that. For those of you who, who've done a lot of this inductive work with me, like Ezekiel, for instance, is one of them. You already know this. So just keep those things in your mind when you're, when you're studying inductively that you're, you've got a box, but you're just beginning to build in that box. You know, these books, um, let me see here if I can grab one. This is my Lockyer, I think this is the way they print, he pronounces his name. And it's a, and he does is he goes by subjects and he says, 
all that's said in the Bible from his perspective about a certain subject. So this one is about the holy days. There's one on um, all the prayers. There's one on. Well, this is one subject, all the holy days and holidays that are spoken of. And he gives you a, a detailed thing. You and I are putting together a book inside of our little heads in a little box. Right now, the book that we're beginning to write is called The Kingdom of God. And in reference to it, it's the kingdom of God on earth. Okay. All right. So let's put that back. I almost nailed my yadro. <laughs> okay. I got to rush. Curry, hurry. Okay. Who will be in power when it comes? Which beast will be in power when this kingdom is established? And that's how I read the question. So I'm not, I might, because I do think that timelining wise, it's important for us to know what happens first and then what comes next. So who's the beast that's in power at the time when the kingdom of God comes? That little, the one that's called the little horn, the one that we just looked at in Daniel 7, right? 7. Uh, 7 and 720, if you want those references, the beast with 10 horns and another horn, right? The little horn. Um, what are some of the activities that are going on with that? There's a power struggle that's going on. Well, it says, who will be in power when it comes. So I'm talking about the subject of the power. When God comes to establish his kingdom, that's when you know it's going to initiate and it's going to begin. What's going on in that time when he comes to do what he's going to do? We're going to see things like what's going on with the saints. There's what there's war that's being waged by one of those beasts against the saints, right? There you go. There's going to be some overpowering and wearing down of the saints. And what about their this beast's uh, relationship with himself and God? What comes out of his mouth? Yeah, he boastful. speaks blasphemies. He's boastful, right? So, yeah, but that wasn't in Daniel 7. <laughs> but you're right. You're absolutely correct. Boy, she's way ahead of us. Okay. It says, now it says, concerning the kingdom of God, who will rule over it? What did you learn in Daniel 7 about that? Okay, Christ, because in verse 14, one like a son of man, right? He's given the dominion. And then when it comes to the saints, you got 18 and 22, right? What do you see? Yeah, judgment is good. So it's really interesting. So it sounds like we got two two people ruling over that kingdom this one like a son of man and his saints right now tell me what you think the the chain of command is there <laughs> we know jesus and then us <laughs> even though he is giving to us uh dominion and power at that time there's going to be ruling and reigning with him for those saints but yet also he is there ruling and reigning. And when we get into our cross-references, it's going to even be more so. Now, where is this taking place? Where is this kingdom? There's really only one verse I could find that kind of gave us that. Uh, verse 27 was the one I looked at. Did you see one? Under the whole heaven. Under the whole heaven. Very good. That was, that's all I could find too. But where is under the whole heaven? Where, geographically, where is that then? 
right here on earth. So you know it's a kingdom, it's kingdom is gonna come, it's gonna be here on earth. I think that's a very important qualifier because that is an issue with some people that they don't understand that the kingdom that this being spoken of here in this chapter, in this book, is a kingdom that's literally here on the earth, okay? How long will it last? We've talked about this a couple of times. Everlasting. Everlasting kingdom in just Daniel 7, but now later we're going to get some more. And then she has us go into Daniel 2, 4, and 6 to do those additional internal cross-referencing. And again, over and over and over, what's the repeat? How long does it last? Eternal. Um, and what's going to happen to the other kingdoms of men when it comes? Destroyed forever. They're crushed. Okay. So that was that one. Then the next thing she asked us to do was uh, do, do cross-referencing to find the same subject. So we did a bunch. I mean, we looked in um, Isaiah 9, Zechariah 8, Zechariah 14, a couple of them in 14, there are two portions of it, uh, Isaiah 24, uh, Isaiah 2, Revelation 20, and Ezekiel 37, those were the Old Testament references concerning the kingdom of God. Then the New Testament, we went into Matthew and a couple of different Matthew verses. Now, those are just the tip of the iceberg, you can imagine, right? But they are enough to get us a really good start. So tell me, when will it be, be, uh, be brought into existence according to those Old Testament passages in Isaiah, Zechariah? Yeah, in those days. Later on, <laughs> I liked that one. I thought that was funny. In Isaiah 9, 1, later on, <laughs> okay, that's real specific. <laughs> later on, he shall make it glorious. What's going on right now, did he say in Isaiah 9? Well, in, in Isaiah 9, what was going on with, with and with whom? Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. It says, but there will be, is that what verse one says? Or am I wrong? I may have. Two through seven is what you're starting. Oh, okay. Uh, to the people who are, I backed up to one. I'm sorry. You have to have one because she messed up. I'm sorry to say it. I love her. <laughs> but it says, because it's at context. Okay. In verse one of, of Isaiah nine, it tells you, what's happening to the people, places, or and the events, right? So in this instance, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish in earlier times. He treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea and on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Who is he talking to or and about? Who's the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali? That's Israel. Yes. So he says there, there apparently was gloom in those places at the time when he was writing, Isaiah was writing what God was telling him to write to these people. And he says, but he says, although there's gloom right now, later on, it's going to be glorious for them. Uh, okay. Then it goes on to the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. What do you think that great light is? Jesus. They will. So what is the message there? What's going to happen to Israel that they're going to see a great light? 
They're going to come to realize who their Messiah actually is. So when you go back into Daniel then, and you're looking at the subject of the saints there, and you're saying, who is he dealing with? What, you know, what is the goal of what's going on there? What is what ha has happened to Israel that they ended up off their land and in captivity of Babylon and so forth? They're going to return to their land. What happened that got them off their land? Yeah, boy, were they breaking the rules. <laughs> they got scared. And so therefore they got scattered. So they were breaking the rules. They weren't honoring God. They were defiling themselves with idols, which you see without written through a lot of these. And so he says it that day, right now it's gloom, but later on, he says, you're going to have a great, you're going to have a great glorious time, a time of, um, it's going to be glorious by the way of the sea. And on the other side of Jordan, this is on the land of Israel, the Galilee of the Gentiles, people will have that great light. Okay, so that kind of sets the stage for the whole rest of this. We don't have a lot of time to cover this because I really want to do your timeline with you. Tell me, what did you learn on the whole then? How did, it, how did everything you looked at in these cross-references support what you saw in Daniel 7? Did you find them compatible as good trans, uh, cross references, right? Isn't this cool though? Because you did so much work the last two weeks, you now have a good idea of people, places, events. You've begun to make your list in your mind. Now, when you go into these cross references, you're going, oh, yep, that's, that's the same time. Oh, yep, that's, isn't that cool that you can do that? You don't even need a commentary to make sure that you got it right. You're going, I know enough already just having dug in so hard in Daniel and looked at Revelation in particular, those 12 and 13. I now have enough information that I can judge for myself. I can discern what is accurate cross-reference and what is not. And we're beginning by these cross-references to get a better picture of who the saints are in Daniel. Because here we're saying that what has happened is these were people who in earlier times um, were treated, uh, earlier times God treated the land with contempt. How did God treat the land of Israel with contempt? How did he do, what does he mean by that? He let other people live there. Yeah, he threw Israel, their possessor, off their land and he let other people come in and take charge. Who took charge? Babylon, Babylon did. Assyria. And the Assyria before that, right? Okay, so what we see here then is all these cross-references add to your box of information concerning the coming of the kingdom of God and the why behind it. On the whole, what would you say was the why? Of the kingdom. Yeah, let's go to uh, one verse, Ezekiel 37, 27. Actually, yeah, 27. 37, 27 of Ezekiel. That was one of your cross-references. Yes, thank you. For those of you who did Ezekiel with me, Martha probably remembers this well. Over and over I say, now why is he doing this? that they may know that I am the Lord. So why is God doing what we're looking at in this Daniel uh, vision? Why is God going to do what he's going to do in the book of Revelation? And why does he have to go that far? Why does he have to get that drastic? What, well, what can you guess? So people were tempted. 
So the, yeah. And why does he have to be so drastic in it? Why does he have to pour out wrath on the earth? Because we're so Cause stubborn. Because we are so stubborn. Yeah. And some people simply will never bow the knee. And therefore, God will judge them in righteousness. And their end will come. And then God will establish his kingdom. And there will be a time on the earth. And it's going to be glorious for Israel. Glorious. Israel was given a promise, a land, a seed, a nation. They never fully obtained it. They never fully possessed it like they were supposed to because they did not fully obey God. As a matter of fact, once they got on the land, they began to wane right away. And eventually, according to Ezekiel, God had to then cast them out off the land and he left his temple. So we see in Ezekiel, him. I think it's in verse 12, his Shekinah glory leaves the temple and leaves the holy city. And then Babylon comes in and takes it, right? This is why you can determine the survey in that in Israel. Yes, yes. And that's important to keep in mind. Yes, and then he says in verse Ezekiel 37, that I will set my sanctuary in their midst. Now, this is interesting because if we're talking about a physical location upon the earth, right, and God is going to have a temple and he's going to dwell there in their midst, he's speaking about a specific geographical people and group and nation, correct? So he's speaking about my sanctuary in their midst. What is God's sanctuary? What do we call it? The temple. <laughs> I mean, that's right. It's going to be God's temple. And he says, then uh, my dwelling place will be with them and the nations will know that I am the Lord. Now, why is that? Why will they know that he is the Lord when he does these things? Yeah, because it's a supernatural work of God. He promised them way back in history. And through the ages, people have been skeptical. And now it's never come. The days of Noah are never, you know, the, rain, the rain's never going to come. And it did one day, right? And it, just like in the days of Noah, so shall this come to pass. And it will come upon you suddenly and, and you will be surprised by it because God will fulfill his word. And he's going to fulfill his word to Israel. And he says, the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies who? Israel. When my sanctuary is in their midst forever. That verse is super key. If you don't have that one in your list, put Ezekiel 37, 27 and 28. Israel is God's witness to the world that he is dot, dot, dot. Okay. In Daniel, who is he? He is He's the ancient of, okay, the titles, ancient of days, the highest one, most high God, yet ancient of days. He is sovereign and he is all knowing. He's all powerful. He is faithful to his word. I mean, you can make a long list of the things that you can think of that God is. He's the, he, he is faithful, sovereign, omniscient, all powerful savior. And he will do it. So therefore he's going to use, this is the whole thing about Israel. They are a tool for him. And that's what he's going to use them for, to show that he is who he is, not because they're great, not because they're so special, but because he's using them to declare to the world, see, I can do exactly what I say. Even when it's supernaturally not possible for anyone else to have ever accomplished, I have done it. Isn't that exciting? Now, if that helps you any, I would say go back. I know you don't have time to, but make yourself a note about this. And the next time you do this study, you'll remember. Make your list of your who, what, why, when, where questions 
take your cross references and put your answers underneath each statement. So uh, what will bring it into existence? When will it begin? Who will be in power when it comes? And so in these cross references, did we not see support for Daniel 7? Everything we learned in 7 and more, right, was given to us. All right, so that's what you did there. Hopefully you understand that. Any questions about that part of the work? Because we've got just about 15 minutes, right? And then we're going to get in, we're going to be able to hopefully wrap up, but we want to do your timeline that you did. Um, okay. So this is your... Okay, so here's what I, I did on mine. And I'll bet you did too. I started out by trying to put all the verses and writing out the whole thing, right? Oh boy, big mistake. <laughs> because there's just not enough room. So what I did instead, and what we're going to do together mostly, is we're going to put number one, number two, number three, number four. we're just going to put which number we're answering. So let's start with number one and say, where do we think it goes here on this timeline? And we're just going to put number one, and it'll be your responsibility to go back and reread the question to say, oh, number one happened here on the timeline and see if you got them in the right place. Okay. All right. So the first question is the beginning of the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem. She wants to know where on the timeline this goes. 605 BC. Now we know this because we did the three sieges of Jerusalem early in our Daniel study. We looked at that. What we saw is Babylon or yeah, Babylon takes siege of Jerusalem in three sieges. The first one takes Daniel and his three friends into captivity. That is 605 BC. So number one goes right here. Okay. Simple, right? That was the easiest list. Okay. Whoa. Much simpler. <laughs> I know everybody's laughing at themselves because why didn't I think of this? Okay. <laughs> okay. First siege of Babylon. And you, if you wanted to, you could put Daniel 1, 1 as your reference to get you started. That might be of help. Um, now, number two, what is the question? Sequence of kingdoms seen in Daniel 2 and 7. This one should be super duper easy, right? Where, where do, what are the kingdoms? Babylonian, Okay, so it starts with Babylon. Uh, the next one you said is? Medo-Persian. We know that because we have studied it already. Okay, so the, and we call this one the first because that's what the dream says. We call this the second because that's what the dream shows us. They're sequential. Again, those, those uh, ordinal uses of first, second, third, fourth, lock them in place. Okay, what hap what's the next one? We don't know, do we? Yet. We don't have a name for it yet. But what do we know it's called? Third. <laughs> a third and then what? Uh, fourth. Okay, that was easy. We're done. We don't know the names of these, so we'll just put a question mark here for now, because for right now, we don't know. We will know a little bit more later, okay? Uh, if you wanted to, you could go in there and, and put Daniel 239 or 38 to 40 as your reference. 
38 to 40. And that will give you first, second, third, fourth in those verses, okay? Okay, so that was number two. Well, now we need to do number three. The fourth kingdom of Daniel that devours and crushes the whole earth. Okay, so let's just put a line right here. And we don't, you know, we just know that there's a time. So we're going to say here is number three. Um, it's before, and it said, and she calls it the fourth kingdom. Fourth kingdom. Now that helps us then, doesn't it? Because it shows this fourth kingdom progressively moving yet forward, right? Okay. What's number four? The time when the horn with eyes and a mouth uttering great boast wages war with the saints and overpowers them. This, there you go. So we can, we're going to call it three and a half to make it simple for us. But the scripture says time times half a time, 1,260 years or 42 months. We know that's three and one half years. We'll put that up there. So now we know number four goes right there. And that's the horn boasting. Okay. Pretty clean chart so far. If you want to, you could put Daniel 7, uh, 20 to 21 as one of the, or any reference you want that uh, covers that subject, okay? Okay, so that's number four. Number five, is this going faster than you thought? Yeah, <laughs> you were worried I was gonna run out of time. Okay, <laughs> the stones crushing of the statue. That's Christ's coming, isn't it? And what you had on your chart was an arrow like this, right? All right, and that is uh, Daniel 2, uh, 34, 35, or 44 is another one, right? Any questions about that? So you're saying at the end of the three and a half years? That's what it looks like, doesn't it? Has to happen after that beast is coming against the saints, boasting, pursuing, making war. It doesn't happen before, no. right? It comes after. So it has to come out after. And when he comes to crush that stone and that boastful speaking horn has to be at the end of all that time. And then what happens as soon as he does that? The kingdom of God. Yeah, they're dead in the kingdom. Of, that's a good sound effects. That was a that was a sound effect. <laughs> Just to make sure. The crushing, yeah. Well, we don't know. There might be some more time over here. We're not there yet. I know we're not there yet. Don't spoil it. <laughs> okay, so 
we we know that we're only talking right now in Daniel is talking about a time times and a half a time that these certain events are going to be taking place. We're not in Revelation, remember, we're in Daniel. So do not try to figure out Revelation timeline yet. We will do that later. But because I don't want to leave you super confused, I'm going to put that extra little line over here to say that there's more time before that that also will be addressed later. Okay. Um, might I don't remember that. What is oh, later? Okay, let's let's move on. Okay, <laughs> okay. Number five, the stones crushing of the statue. Oh, that's this one right here. Number five, right? Uh, stone crushes, and that's Daniel two. 44. All right. So that was number five. Now, number six, the reign of the final kingdom when all dominions serve and obey him. Well, where would it go on the timeline? After that second coming. There you go. After his can't come before he shows up has to be after. Right. So we, we're going to say, I'm going to do, I'm going to draw a visual because you're going to like my visual. I know. So this is the kingdom that's going to come. And, and he's, it says, uh, we're at six, right? Number six. Um, I think I'll put right here. Number six. Um, the rain. I'll just shorten it to the reign of Christ. 727. Okay. So that was number six. Can everyone see that okay? Can you guys see it pretty good? Okay. Uh, number seven, the period when the horn that is different from the other speaks out against the most high and tries to change times and law. I was gonna say, didn't I see that on the news this morning? <laughs> okay, say that again. I'm sorry, say that again. Where does it go? All right. So now we have number seven right here. Uh, horn. Okay, that's the horn that speaks against the most high, and that's in 725. Okay, so we're back in that fourth kingdom. He's, bo he's a boastful horn, and he's speaking out against the most high. Number eight, the court sits for judgment. Remember? When would that be? Yeah. At the same time or just before, even, you could put it up here, number eight, but I'll, for easiness, I'm going to put it here, number eight, the court sits. That's when that court sits. Is In order for Christ to come, the court has to sit, and God, uh, the Ancient of Days, gives him his dominion, his power, his authority, and a great kingdom, right? And so he gives him that kingdom, and then Jesus comes. Okay, so that really is cool to me because it really does show you that God has a definitive time and not until the time, just like Jesus, not my time has not yet come. You can't put me on the cross. You can't kill me. You can't chase me off. 
I'm here until the time. And then he says, now it's my time. And then he goes to the cross. So, he, so the people in that three and a half years who become Christians will know it's three and a half years. You betcha. Yeah. That's a good point. It's a really good point. God has told you and I, you will not know the day nor the hour, right, of his coming for us. It's obviously different than this coming then, isn't it? Because when he comes for us, it's a surprise. But when this coming happens, it's going to be real. There's going to be activity. I heard uh, Jack Hibbs preach on this the other day. He was saying, um, you know, I keep waiting for it to come. I can't wait for it to come. And he said, he says, but you know what? If he waits much longer, it's not going to be a surprise. <laughs> and I laughed. I went, that's so true. Right now, it is going to be at a surprise for us. We don't know the day nor the hour. But I can tell you this. If you and I start seeing these things happening, we're going to know the day and the hour. We're going to be able to mark it down on a calendar because we figured out this much time is three and a half years. And it's from the time that he begins both being boastful. He begins uh, pursuing the saints in that day. And, and something's going to be going on that's going to be very, we're not there yet, but there's lots more that is really distinctive. Absolutely, without a doubt, when those things happen, you and I are going to know this is the time. But the fact that we're not going to know the day or the hour, what does that tell you about us? Who's here and who's not here? We obviously are not here because we would know the day and the hour because we're, we're intelligent about God's word, what he's promised. Yeah, that's that's all coming. And that, those are some really <laughs> distinctive cross references that give you some markers that are without a doubt, you know exactly what's happening and when and how long you have to. And, the, and how might knowing that there's only three and a half years left when that happens, how comforting might that be for those who do come into faith in those days? It will give them endurance because they're going to know I just have to make it three and a half years. God's coming because they're going to begin to dig into the word by then. And now they're going to think the word of God is important. And now they're going to say, oh, man, what did God say about this time? Right. Yeah. And now they're going to pay attention. It was like in, in the Babylonian captivity. They knew it was 70 years. And at the end, they were like. That's exactly right. And we're not there yet either on that. But that's exactly right. Daniel, when he wrote this at a certain point in our. Daniel's study, we're going to see a place where Daniel says, and, and he reads in the scripture about the days being 70, 70 years, and that he saw the days approaching. What did he do when he saw that verse? Do you remember? He prayed. Beautiful prayer. I mean, sincere prayer of repentance for his, himself and his nation. Okay, so let's move on. Um, where, where are we? We're at, eight, let's, we're at number nine. We're almost there. When the dominion of the different horn is taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Yeah. Right here. Nine. Dominion is taken away. I'm going to put L for little horn. Um, and that is 726. Okay, number nine. Woohoo! I, I am so good. We're at the last one. And we are at 1045. We're going to actually end up a little bit early. 
All right. <laughs> My goal was 1045, but then I would have 15 minutes, but we're going to actually have 15 minutes to just chat. 10, number 10 says, when the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the saints of the highest one. When do the saints get the kingdom? That's right, when Christ comes. So it's going to be number 10. The kingdom of God is given to the saints. Actually, it should be first the saints and dominion is the Jews, and then God gives Christ the dominion, and then we See, this is all in the same time frame. I know, but... Five, eight, nine, six, and ten all run in the same time frame. So, yeah, if you want to put it in a more specific order... You can absolutely do that. I'm going to make that thing glow, baby. Glow. <laughs> like a glow worm. <laughs> All right. So any questions on the timeline that we have thus far? Are you confused by any of the 1 through 10 that we put down up there? Was there? It wasn't that hard after it was done. But in the beginning, you're like, okay, no. What does that mean? What is it? But see the way we did it here, just putting the numbers up there without too much information. I think the less information, the, the better. We know this is about the statue dream in chapter two and about the, the beast, the four beasts in chapter seven. And it is concerning what will take place in the future, it says. And it says in the latter days, that's all in chapter two. Oh yeah, just push, thank you. I'm sorry, was ignoring it. <laughs> this is my life. Ignore the beeping sounds around you <laughs> and the cars that are going off and whatever. Okay, so now we've got enough time if you have any questions. Uh, in particular, like some of those Old Testament or New Testament scriptures that were given to us as cross references. Did you have any points on that? Because we did, we I kind of had to skip over it pretty quickly. Um, but I think you got the gist of it but i can tell you this for sure the points that are in he, in this particular list that you made answering the who what why when where how questions concerning the old testament and the new testament cross references these these answers are going to help to begin to clarify and put into your boxes in your brain people places and events that are going to be taking place for us it's hopefully clarified for you even some understanding of who some of these people are, like the saints, for instance, in Daniel 7. Who are those saints? Because we had a question about that last week, right? A lot of us were still struggling with, you know, why aren't those? They're the ones that hold to the testimony of Jesus. They're the ones that obey the word, the commandments of God. Who does that sound like? Sounds like us, right? But are we the, are we the ones that are being addressed in here according to... It has to do with whoever is there during the days of the tribulation, right? And so what we have to say is, according to this cross-referencing that you did, who were those saints that God is going to do that for in that day? And what is he doing and why? What is God doing all of this for? Why is he going to put his, his kingdom? It's for his glory. It's to bring glory to him to prove he is who he says he is, right? And who... Israel, in, the Jews are going to be the saints, right? There you go. It's for Israel, the Jews. 
Why must he do it for them specifically? Yes, because he made a covenant. He made a promise. Tell me, why do you think he even made that covenant to begin with? So that God could be seen for who he is here. This is very interesting. Daniel and his three friends went into their captivity into Babylon, right? While they were there, what was happening to Babylon and its leaders and the other people watching them? What was their influence on them? Well, Nebuchadnezzar got, and do you think he's the only one that got saved and came to Yahweh as savior in that day through their demonstrated behaviors and the things that they were teaching? Do you think they spoke to the people around them about who Yahweh was and why they were abstaining from foods and why they prayed, uh, was it three times a day? And, you know, we're in, in our small group, I'm you know, we talked about that in uh, the, the Persians that came seeking the star. Mm -hmm. so how did they know? How did they know? The it was probably because way back when. There you go. How would the, those three wise men, well, how would the Magi have known to follow the star, to look for the king that was to be born, king of the Jews? How did that happen? Probably through the testimony of Daniel, who had spoken in Babylon to that kingdom realm of people who followed stars. Yes. Yes, are written in their language, in the language of the Chaldeans. And it was in their realm that it would have been actually in the chronicles of their own writings for their country, right? So it would have perpetually lasted through the generations and been able to be read. And certainly those who were, quote, wise men, would have been studying these ancient documents and would have known about it. So it's really interesting to me how what we're seeing here then is God made a promise. He made a covenant, which even validates it and strengthens it. But even without the covenant, God made a promise and he spoke his word. And he says, this is what I'm going to do. And then he does it. And all the rest of the hundreds of millions of points that we're going to be looking at and trying to parse out are all tied back to the fact that God is just saying, so that you will know that I am the Lord. That's why I'm doing it. I'm doing it so you will know that I am the Lord. I have a question. Now, at the second coming, those who, the church, we who have been raptured, we will come. We're not there yet, but let's go look at it. Did, uh, did we do Revelation 11 in our cross-reference? Or 19, I mean? 19, yes. Yes, so that's where it is. Revelation 19. Okay, listen, let, let's, I'll, I'll just read it for the sake of the audio, okay? And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. Does that not fit with what we just said? God is doing this so that you will know he is the Lord. He says it, he does it, right? And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. So who's he coming to war with? That fourth beast that we're looking at who's led by little horn, right? His eyes are a flame of fire and his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one ex knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Who is he? Jesus. His name is called the word of God. I love that. And here's, here's the part that pertains to us. And the armies which are in heaven 
clothed in fine linen. Now, you don't know the fullness of that statement right there yet, but when we go into Revelation, we'll do a whole study on who is it that's clothed in fine linen and what does that represent? And who, who are those people, right? Well, those people, it says, they're in this fine linen, white and clean. We're following him on his white horse. So it says, here we got Jesus. You're like my horse. Okay, here's a horse, a little tail. And when he comes, there's a whole bunch of horses following behind him when he comes. That's what Revelation 19 verse 14 says. The armies in heaven dressed in fine linen follow him. And, I, and I, we're jumping ahead a little bit into our Revelation study, but you will probably forget most of it. But when we get there, it'll kind of come back to you and you'll have at least a little starting place for your mind to be. And when you develop this, you're going to see this clearly. Again, there's going to be 100 million cross-references that you're going to have to put into this time frame of all these things happening. There's so much information in God's word about this time. And I was wondering in verse 27 of Daniel 7, you know, over and over it talks about the saints, you know, given to the saints. But then in, in 27 it says that the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints. Very is interesting. That, is that, I mean, they were granted with Israel, you know, with Good question. When when this kingdom begins, who in what's verse 21 you said? 27 in Daniel 9 27. Who are those people of the saints? What does that mean? Well, we don't know yet, right? What are the possibilities? It could be maybe the army that comes with Jesus. Yes. And the people of the saints, well, if the saints is making a reference to the initial saints that the covenant was made would be Israel. So it could be the people of the saints, meaning Israel itself, the Jewish nation that made it through the tribulation. And boy, there's a bunch of study to go on on that yet. Yes, it does. In Romans chapter 11 and all because God will fulfill his word. He keeps his promises. They are irrefutable, is what it says in, in Romans 11. So what does that mean, all of this? Good question. Let's wait on that one. It's a great <laughs> subject. I do know the answer, but I don't want to tell you yet. I'm so sorry. And there's a lot of this. I just don't want to. It's hard not to. I've already given you a lot of cheat notes along the way, a lot. But um, so I don't like to leave people frustrated because I remember sitting in your chair and being who you are. And it is frustrating because you want all the answers right now today. But the thing is, is it's so much more fun if you progressively do this yourself and build your foundation. Already, how much better are you feeling now about what we did last week and the week before and combining in with what we did this week? Are you starting to go, okay, now I'm comfortable with what I think I know now. And having done this much of your timeline, you know where on the timeline it goes. You got it locked in. That's so important for you and so beneficial because you're not going to get confused as long as you remember your timeline. So when we start to look at Daniel 8, 9, 10, 11, you need to make sure you know which place on this timeline you are. Are you talking about the first kingdom, the second, the third, or the fourth? Or are you talking about this end time kingdom, which is God's? And as you read through whatever information you get, lay this 
this timeline out before you and have it handy for you because it's going to help you keep your bearings because for the next year or so while we're going through this and into into a revelation it you do a lot you do so much you think this was cross-referencing this week i ain't even the beginning of it that i mean there are so much so much of god's word is is prophecy it's god's signature crossed his book that says i am god i speak and i do it's like the psalm verse that says the unfolding of thy word brings light yeah and we're just seeing it being absolutely unfolded. yes that's why daniel 12 where he says in, in um knowledge will increase how does knowledge increase when it's concerning prophecy Fulfillment. When it gets fulfilled, your knowledge increases. So for each generation that gets closer to these end times, we have more knowledge. Think of, think of all we're looking at right now. We're we're able to go. Aha! I know what that means. Can you imagine? This is why Daniel. It says his pallor was was gray. I mean, he was nauseous. He was so sick because he's like, I don't get it. I don't know what this is. Ah! <laughs> you know, and he knew it was dreadful and terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, he knew it was dreadful and terrifying, and, and he knew it was dreadful and terrifying for Israel, and he was nauseous about this, uh, but, but it, God's word to him was, knowledge will increase, and it increases as time passes and things are fulfilled. What, you, what Daniel only got to was the beginning of the Medo-Persian Empire, if, as we saw uh, in there, because following him, the next chapter was Darius, so, so he was gone, right? Uh, but he got to the Medo-Persian Empire, but he didn't know what followed. He didn't know when the Christ would come, the seed that was promised. And he, he didn't know anything about what was going on here exactly. He just knew that it was coming and it gave him hope. It gave him confidence that God was sovereign. He was God most high, not a God contained on earth in vessels made by human hands. But he's the God who, who is all-knowing. He's all-powerful right? He's sovereign over the affairs of man, and he will do exactly what he has said. And then he will do it. He does it. He does it. And that's how you get knowledge increased. All right. Thank you guys for coming. It was a great class. Bye, you guys. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>